Does the channel provide value? Focus on the foundation. I am a travel vlogger. It's always about communication. Build those partnerships. What are the problems that you solve for your clients? Just being ahead on the technological side of things. Leading an organization. You not only want to survive, but you want to thrive. They said it wouldn't last, and they said that you can't drive profitable and incremental revenue through the affiliate channel. But here we are, 20 years later, and the affiliate channel is alive and kicking and generating profitable revenue for thousands of retailers across the globe. Hi, I am Jamie Birch, your host of the Profitable Performance Marketing Podcast, where we talk to some of the industry's best and brightest about their careers, about leadership, and about how to drive profitable revenue through the affiliate channel. Well, hey, this is Jamie Birch, uh, founder and CEO of JB Commerce, your award-winning affiliate management agency. And today on our podcast, the Profitable Performance Marketing Podcast, we have industry legend, industry vet, the first employee at Commission Junction way back in 1998, Todd Crawford. So before I introduce him, just want to let you know, if you need help with your affiliate program, it's the start of the new year and you're looking to see really where does your channel stand? What should you be doing going forward? Reach out to us. You can reach out to us at gethelp.jebcommerce.com and we would love to do a quick audit and give you an idea of, well, really benchmark your program uh, give you an idea of the things to work on. So you can do that at gethelp.jebcommerce.com or you can even put 15 minutes on my calendar at calendly.com slash Jamie Birch. So Todd and I have known each other for a really long time. Uh, today we have a great discussion. Really what I want you to listen to is, is this the discussion on this separate channel that is partnerships. Uh, Todd dives into a lot of that, and that's where our discussion really centers on is this uh, where impact, kind of what it was founded on, and where the industry is going, and the real growth opportunities in these partnerships. So Todd and I talk a whole lot uh, about that. We talk a little bit about whiskey, uh, talk a little bit about the history, and then we end it with uh, a sort of Todd's recommendation for what to look for this year. And it's great stuff. It's always good talking uh, with uh, Mr. Crawford and today is no different. So I will just shut up right now so you guys can listen to my conversation with Todd Crawford. All right. Welcome, Mr. Crawford. Todd, how are you doing? Welcome to the Profitable Performance Marketing Podcast. Uh, Happy New Year, Jamie. Thanks for having me. I'm doing well. Yeah, awesome. Uh, now, being a man of fine tastes, what did you ring in the new year uh, with in your glass? Uh, we were having uh, a French, uh, it's called a Cremant. It's basically champagne, but not from the champagne region, uh, a, a Brut Rosé. Gotcha. I had, uh, I, I tasted a few different bourbons and whiskeys that night, um, tried a uh, Jefferson's Ocean which is, uh, it tasted pretty good, was a unique little story at it, you know, it's aged as it travels around the world. But yeah, I got to try a couple different things that night. It was, it was, it was nice, but 2020 is over, um, was a, a interesting, uh, interesting year. Um, what are you looking forward to most, uh, going into 2021 or now in 2021? Well, I guess getting vaccinated would be, uh, something I'm looking yeah. forward to <laughs> kind of take that uh, kind of anxiety of catching COVID uh, off the plate um, and travel. I, I, you know, going into 
2020, I had plans to spend more time in some of our offices. You know, we have, uh, I'm based out of our Santa Barbara, California office, but we have a, a big office in New York um, and in London. And uh, I usually get by those offices due to conferences and things, but I actually wanted to spend some time sure in those offices. Um, but uh, that never happened. So try to get a reset here, but I don't expect that to really be a window until kind of mid year once everybody's been vaccinated. Cause I think I'm probably low on the list, you know, until the end. Yeah. Me, me too. Me too. Uh, I don't mind seeing how, uh, how the vaccines play out and how the first, uh, uh, wave goes. Um, we had it in our house. Uh, so kind of assuming we have a little bit of immunity to it. Uh, although, uh, scheduling a, uh, uh, antibody test. So we, we get a little bit weird, uh, just a, a weird year with all that planned. Yeah. We didn't do any travel either. We had, uh, you know, just like you, lots of, lots of plans to go anywhere. I think the affiliate summit is, uh, is it November of next year is the the first one. So yeah, yeah. it looks like, um, uh, I remember going into this in April and May looking at like, okay, well, we're going to start traveling again in September. Uh, and now it looks like maybe that will happen next September. Yeah, I know. I felt the same way. So, Todd, the first like introduction that I had to to you was way back in the ABW days. Uh, I was managing uh, Coldwater Creek on the LinkShare network. I'd been in the industry for like a year, uh, and back in those uh, on the forum, the first I think real introduction was. Uh, you and Steve Messer uh, talking about pixel versus batch tracking and this very long thread uh, of uh, the two of you going uh, back and forth. Do you remember, do you remember what I'm talking about? Yeah, it was kind of like a playground fight and everybody, all the kids came out to uh, watch it. Uh, it was, uh, Oh yeah. You could see how many people were in, you know, these were like, uh, I guess uh, forums or whatever. You could see how many people were in a section. So the whole, back and forth was happening in one section so you could see the number and it was, you know i think it was pretty high um i think even steve met, mentioned it but yeah i used to get under his skin pretty good yeah a little bit i i remember being one of those schoolboys watching uh watching the fight and going oh snap <laughs> he said that it was great uh but you've been in the industry for a really long time um how did you find affiliate marketing in the beginning, how did I get into it? You mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, um, my dad and uncle is in Minneapolis. They did. Um, they helped uh, companies raise, raise kind of their initial capital through angel investors. So they had a network of angel investors, and a guy named Lex Sisney, who ended up being uh, the, the first CEO and one of the founders of CJ went to them with an idea for some procurement company. And um, my uncle was like, I don't, I don't really think that's a, something I, I want to raise money for. I'm not really, that doesn't really do it for me. He said, I'm really interested in a transactional uh, business and uh, I'll know it when I see it or something like that. And so they ended up hiring Lex to help them with a company they were doing, running. And uh, while he was doing that, he kind of ran across um, affiliate marketing. This is 98 or 90. Yeah. 97, 98. And he was having drinks with my uncle after work. Uh, and he said, you know, this affiliate marketing, this is how it works. It's kind of flawed. And I think this is how it should work. 
And my uncle went, now that's a business I can get behind. I, if you want to create a business, um, what were those called back then, right? A, a business proposal or whatever, I'll, I'll raise business that. Plan. That was kind of the birth of Commission Junction. They, um, I, uh, I got introduced to Lex and we just started talking and uh, hit it off. And I guess the rest is history. Wow. I had no idea that that was the connection. Now, prior to uh, the affiliate world, what, what were you involved in? Um, nothing really. I mean, my experience on the internet was, you know, I mean, 90, late nineties was, you know, going to call or in the nineties going to college. So you basically had some email and, uh, kind of surf the internet, um, even purchasing in the mid to late nineties, it wasn't like people weren't do, going out of their way to do it. Right. It was kind of like yeah. novelty or they couldn't find it or it was, I don't know. I don't know why. So I didn't really do a lot on the internet um, back then, you know, play video games and things like that. But um, yeah. So when I got introduced to Lex, I was very interested in the internet and I thought, you know, it has a lot of promise and I certainly want to find a way to get in. And, you know, I said to him, look, if you think my dad and uncle are good at selling, raising money and selling uh, investment ideas, I grew up listening to them do that. I'm <laughs> they are. And, uh, you know, let's, let's make this work. And he said, okay, let's do it. So that, that's kind of how we got started in Minneapolis. Um, that was in the middle of 98. And then we launched, I think the end of sometime in November, or maybe it was just in December we launched and we had a couple companies go live right away. And then, uh, by July 1st, of 99 we had relocated to santa barbara because we had found someone to build the technology who ended up being pear Pedersen and, and a team he had there who became our cto so um it was kind of like we were growing the company in two offices and we're like why don't we get everybody before we get too big to one place and santa barbara is way nicer than minneapolis so. uh it is i've been to both and much warmer in Santa Barbara. Nothing against Minneapolis, but I think most rational people, if they had to choose, would choose Santa Barbara. I, I agree. I agree. I, my first visit there, uh, and I still love every, every time I get to go down there running on the beach, uh, we don't get that option where I'm at uh, very much. So it is definitely the way to go. So now you're at CJ in sales and strategic initiatives. Uh, tell, tell me about your kind of career path to where you are now. Well, you know, we started CJ, built it up. Uh, we uh, kept getting courted by ValueClick. And eventually, after a number of uh, uh, kind of roundabouts, we ended up selling to them. And then, you know, you get, you know, you get made part of a bigger company and things kind of changed. And so, after a year and a half or so, maybe two, I said, oh, I've had enough, you know, it's just not mm -hmm. the same. So I resigned and then Digital River saw that, it kind of made news and they said, hey, we want to fly out and talk to you. And they talked to me and then they said, well, you know, we'll make, make an offer and you can help us build out our affiliate network for uh, our commerce platform. And, you know, back then Digital River was really the, the biggest known software download company and e-commerce platform. So they powered, you know, semantic and all these companies made it very easy for them to have a website that could 
accept transactions and download software and get customer support and things like that. So I helped build out their one network direct uh, affiliate platform. And then, you know, a lot of the people that were involved in CJ, because we all lived in Santa Barbara, uh, a lot of them uh, kind of kept in touch. And we talked about some ideas we had about kind of taking affiliate network to the next level because, you know, the thing was, is nothing was changing. You know, the affiliate networks, it was just mm-hmm. as usual. Um, and, you know, when I was at CJ, one of the biggest frustrations we used to get from customers, all types of customers, agencies, advertisers, and, and publishers was, you know, feature requests, changes in technology and added capabilities that just never got built, never could get them prioritized against other things. I don't know what, but it was very frustrating. And so, um, we kind of talked about getting getting the band back together again. So it was myself, Lisa Riolo, uh, Wade Crank, Pear uh, Pedersen, who was you know one of the founders and CTOs at CJ, and then uh, one of his um, partners, Roger Kachensrud. And so um, we kind of January of 2008 got in a room with whiteboards, floor to ceiling on three walls, and everybody started whiteboarding out all their ideas. And I say this every time because it, it really struck me. Um, Pear kind of looked at all of us when we, and I just remember uncapping the dry erase marker and going, so we're all in agreement. We're not building another affiliate network. And we went, yeah. And so that, that was kind of the, the start. So that's when we started putting down all of our ideas and things that we thought would, would kind of take things to the next level and, and change, change the industry. Now, why so specific on not another affiliate uh, network? Well, I think, you know, Pear is definitely uh, an entrepreneur and, and I definitely am, am in that kind of uh, same vein. If you take those personality tests and things, we usually fall into the same um, type. And, you know, if you go, into an industry that already exists and you say, we're just going to do what they're doing. You're not really an entrepreneur, you're an opportunist. And so what you're doing is you're just elbowing your way up to the table and fighting for that same, for your slice of the pie, right? That other people are already getting. So you have to push market share away and there's not a lot to differentiate yourself. Um, It's not fun. You're not changing anything. You're not moving the industry forward. And I, I would just go back to when we started CJ. It was really rewarding because the industry was nascent. So you were shaping it. You were creating what the industry became. And, um, you know, CJ, what its innovation was, was really um, catering to the publisher side as opposed to the advertiser side, which, you know, at that time, it was Linkshare and BeFree in the late 90s that were kind of the mm-hmm. big players. And they were just selling to advertisers. And, you know, affiliates were, you know, just the the pawns in the in the scheme. And we really thought, well, if we can make it easier for affiliates to make money through um, aggregated reporting and aggregated payment, which was now it seems normal, but it didn't exist. And that was one of the big changes that made it really easy to be an affiliate because you could earn $10 from 10 programs and get a $100 check. Whereas if they were yeah. running on a, the legacy um, players, then you you didn't meet the minimum for each program and you didn't get paid and you had to run different reports. So it was just a mess. So when we went to start Impact, we really wanted to shift how people looked at the industry. And, and it was kind of around uh, two things. Um, 
One was pricing model. We felt like the pricing model was was wrong. I mean, it was overpriced and the industry had matured and you can't really demand 30% of spend or, you know, even today, 25 or 20 is, you know, really for most brands, not, not a, not a something they would consider. So mm-hmm. we felt like it was overpriced and there was a chance to innovate on the pricing side in kind of licensing software, as opposed to taking a commission of a commission or a percent of sale. And then the other side was really the technology was really being a tech company and really just delivering all the technology that everyone had been asking for all the capabilities because a lot of those capabilities worked against the network, like um, being able to uh, blacklist a, a coupon. Well, if you did that, then the network doesn't track as many sales. And if they get a commission get on paid. The, yeah, so that it would cut their revenue. So they were always reluctant to make some of these changes. And we felt like, well, for licensing our software, you know, the, the brands decide and the agencies decide how they're going to use it, who they want to partner with, if they want to fire a partner or lower the commission or raise the commission or blacklist coupons. You know, that's up to them. Um, and then we really wanted to focus on data. We felt like data was pretty thin on the affiliate side. I mean, at CJ, if you wanted anything complex, it had to be, you know, as a client, you had to you had to have a data analyst go, you know, kind of behind the curtain and get it and bring it out. Yeah. You didn't have that kind of self-serve. So we really wanted to, that was a, those were the two primary things. And, and then when I talk about tech, it was also the concept of separating technology from service because of the networks it was bundled right you got tech and service you could use an agency but for the most part you know i feel before impact very few agencies had really large cu- customers most of the largest deals largest you know affiliate programs were managed by the networks because it was just an easy solution and they kind of purported to be the best um, at doing it because they were using their own technology and um you know, again, going back to this kind of entrepreneurial thing, you know, if you want to make a change, you need to change. Everybody needs to benefit from the change, not just the company, right? So um, you need to make it better for agencies, better for advertisers, better for partners, better for third-party tech companies. So that was kind of our vision was let's let's grow everyone's business and that'll grow ours. So that, that was kind of our thought process in creating impact. How'd the rest of that meeting go after uncorking the uh, marker? Well, I mean, we put down a lot of ideas of, you know, things that we thought, and then you kind of have to bucket those, right? Like all these ideas go into this bucket and that bucket, you know, product tracking, who we, who we think our clients are going to be. And initially, actually, we we were going for offline. So we built a lot of TV and radio and print tracking capabilities because we, you know, back then most advertising was still offline. And so we felt like if we could make it easy to track that and enable partners to do things like that, um, to get paid for doing that. And so we went to a lot of the places where, you know, the ShamWow conferences where those companies went, you know, the infomercial crowd and tried to work with them, but they're really slow moving and they outsource almost everything. So there's nobody really conducting the orchestra there's an agency, there's a fulfillment company, there's a customer service company, there's a web hosting company. It was, it's very fragmented. It, it, they look like a brand on the outside, but they're not. So it was not really getting traction. So then we went back to our roots and said, let's really focus on, on the affiliate side of this because we can get traction maybe quicker. 
and uh, again, do a lot of the stuff that I was talking about, you know, the innovation changes and maybe give some of that, mingle in some of that offline with the, with the yeah. online. Now you, you said that with impact, you guys wanted to, you know, expand the industry or reach beyond uh, affiliate. So we, you talked a little bit about, you know, the print stuff and kind of coming back to that. Um, how do you see the, the ecosystem that impact serves? Uh, how is that bigger than affiliates? What other areas uh, are involved in that? Well, I think it's, the, to me, it's finally the most exciting thing about affiliate marketing um, is partnerships, which is kind of like, to me, the big umbrella that affiliate is a piece of. Uh, so if, you know, if you're an affiliate marketer, uh, it's great because uh, there's so many existing affiliate businesses out there that know what they're doing. And so if you're a new brand or you're a brand and you don't have an affiliate program, you can gain traction fairly quickly. There's a lot of low hanging fruit of, you know, plug and play relationships. Um, not a lot of work to get those partnerships up and going because everybody knows what, what they're getting into. When you start to go beyond companies that their primary or uh, sole revenue stream is being an affiliate um, and you start to want to form partnerships, there's, it's not as easy, right? Like if you and I did not know about affiliate marketing and you were a brand and I was a brand and we wanted to create some kind of synergistic partnership that benefited our shared consumer, that can get very complicated. There can be a lot of paper going back and forth around some kind of contracts between our lawyers. How are we going to track this? What, what are we trying to do? And so, you know, as we evolved our technology and our clients, um, we started seeing them forging these types of partnerships outside of what people would consider traditional affiliates. And that, to me, is what's most exciting because these kind of partnerships are, I guess, they, they don't feel like advertising, right? And there's more value around the consumer experience that makes these types of partnerships just very valuable to, to the brands. Um, you know, we've got a lot of examples. I think one that is the easiest for most people to understand is if you use Spotify or any streaming service, most any streaming service, um, you know, you're checking out songs, but you're also checking out bands. And when you check out a band, not in the last year, but soon you'll see their tours. You'll see, you know, Hey, they're playing. You can see that within the Spotify app where, where they're on, if they're on tour and, you can get notifications, but you can actually see the tour dates in the cities and you can click on them and it'll take you, it'll open up Ticketmaster and you can buy the ticket. So it's very convenient, very integrated partnership that seems normal to a Spotify subscriber. Like I would be, it would be weird that I couldn't see first that they wouldn't put at least the tour dates in there in the cities because I would want to know. And two, mm -hmm. that they wouldn't make those something I could take action on. And, 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 you know, be able to go to the concert. So it doesn't seem like advertising. I would say it really isn't advertising. It's more of an added service to your Spotify for convenience feature, right? Is how the consumer sees it. But it's very valuable to both Spotify or any streaming service that participates with Ticketmaster uh, and Ticketmaster because it, 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 it makes, and, and the, you know, they always talk about how millennials are, don't like advertising. They, they're the, highest user of ad blockers and you know so you you know partnerships are a way to to engage with people where it doesn't feel like advertising that's one of the things i think is most exciting 
And I'm seeing more and more brands. We are seeing more companies look for that and want to do that. And and that like the big push the last couple of years in the affiliate community has been influencers. And let's move away from uh, coupon sites and get these influencers. What you're kind of talking about is is something even in much different and and maybe a little harder to get handles on because it can be different in any brand's circumstances with Spotify, Ticketmaster uh, integration. Um, do you see that that partner marketing is where the industry is going? Is that the next big growth area? Well, I look at it this way. Like I said, affiliate model works great. It's plug and play. There's a known universe of affiliates. There's always up and comers. There's definitely the long tail. And, and you know, now you can mix influencers to a certain degree in there. But if I go to work with a leading affiliate company as an advertiser, there's a lot of competition, right? I'm not going to be the only advertiser or the only advertiser in my category, right? So there's a lot of competition for their traffic and uh, the real estate that they can provide. When you go into the Spotify app and you want to buy tickets, there's no competition, right? That's one partnership and it's unique. It's very valuable. So that's one thing I see as a benefit to partnerships that you're not going to probably ever get through, you know, what we call affiliate because for an affiliate business to work, they need to provide some service to the end user that aggregates lots of, they need access to lots of advertisers, right? They just can't do it with one or two where partnerships can be um, more strategic. Uh, and they're also under the radar, meaning, my competitor doesn't know I have this partnership. They can't see it, right? It's not an affiliate in the network that they can mm -hmm. go look up and and call. So, you know, when you think of businesses trying to grow, um, any business, right? I mean, most businesses so they have sales, they have marketing. Uh, and when you go out and do sales, most people think, oh, I need software to manage my sales team. You kind of think of, well, I should probably use Salesforce because everybody else uses it. It's proven. It works. They're the industry leader. And when you go to do marketing, most companies are going to use something like HubSpot or Marketo, right? It's, it's a proven technology that allows companies to scale and get the data they need to, to run their marketing teams. Um, and with partnerships, you know, outside of an affiliate network, they're really, that doesn't exist. And so we're, we see impact as being that provider of, for partnerships and, and giving this company now a third channel really and i see affiliate as part of that i see influencers part of that and i think there's some blurring there right marketing still sees affiliate as marketing and influencers can fall under pr it can fall under marketing um it can fall under its own little place so you know and even influencers there's really to me two types there's ones that get paid for producing content which is kind of more paper posts and there's ones that are willing to to work on more of a, a pay for performance or hybrid. So, um, you know, some of those are the smaller ones or the mid-sized ones. And then maybe as they become bigger, they, they switch to paper posts. But um, yeah, it's, it to me, like I said, it's the most exciting thing happening in our industry right now because it creates something unique. You know, affiliate, I'm not, I'm not saying this to, to bash affiliate. It's not unique anymore, right? It's matured. It exists. People understand it. People know it. Mm -hmm. I can remember you know, somebody launching, you know, in the U.S., a new brand, and they're like, well, who are the affiliates I should be working with? I mean, that's not a question anybody asks anymore. 
right? Depending on your business model, that's a known group of affiliates that are, that are going to be your top partners. Now, how, tell me, so in the past to get like a partnership like Ticketmaster and Spotify, like you said, there, the, the path to get there was convoluted, bureaucratic. It was, there was a lot going on. How does impact now kind of remove, uh, you know, or, or, you know, remove the friction, make that more uh, a viable option and, and this a third channel? How do they equip uh, an advertiser to do that? Well, one is, you know, it is a white labeled platform, meaning if, you know, I'm a brand, Todd, Todd Tech, and I want to work with Jamie, I, I, I can give you a link, you can sign up and you can log in from my website. And all you see is, uh, you know, the impact UI, but it's, it's branded Todd Inc. And you're not offered, uh, you know, hundreds of other advertisers that you can look for. And that would be confusing because your business model is an affiliate marketing. So you don't need to access an affiliate network. That would be difficult, make it more difficult to be my partner, right? Because the UI is built for people who know what they're doing. And so you need a simpler, cleaner kind of UI, which is, you know, simplify, you know, how to get links, uh, how to run reports and, how to get paid, right? Like that's just what the whole partnership is. And so, you know, we have a contracting tool that helps brands create very complex to very simple contracts. So what activities have to happen and can be tracked and reported and what would, you know, get you paid or even not paid. And we track a lot of partnerships that there's no, no payment made. It's just uh, the benefit is to the consumer and that benefits the partner and the, the advertiser, you know, without having to pay them. But, you know, so there's, you know, those kind of tools. And then, and then for some integrations, you know, like a Spotify integration, it's more technical. It's not as simple. It's not a website, it's an app. And there's a feed of, you know, from Ticketmaster of every concert, right. Going on out to a certain Mm -hmm. time horizon. So that needs to be ingested and trackable. So there's, there's, you know, that's the other thing. It's like not every partnership, is the same even uh, for one brand, much less two identical brands um, have different partnerships if they're both do- if they're doing partnerships. So you need kind of that flexibility in the technology through APIs and other types of integrations where you can get everything help them make it work. Like so, they know they want to do the partnership. Now, Impact, please help us make it a reality. Right. So it's simple for both of us. Yeah. It sounds like this be something great in, in the past we've done. Uh, yeah. I've always believed that you know, affiliate marketing was a way to compensate for uh, a, an outcome that you're looking for. And it shouldn't be uh, limited to, you know, those known publishers. You know, if, if someone has an audience, they benefit from my message and my product uh, and the person who has the audience uh, will benefit from sharing that. Then let's find a way to work together. We've done offline, online things um, while I was at Coldwater Creek and even now uh, to equip uh, large disparate groups that weren't online uh, to, to earn uh, commissions by promoting our, our company's products. We worked with medical school fraternities when uh, I ran some uh, uh, medical book and supply, uh, programs so that they could go out and none of it happened online. Uh, 
but it was still trackable. So it sounds like you guys can do, you, you can uh, work with a bunch of those things uh, in, in really unique ways to, to power those, you know, that they can be tracked, that they can be optimized and, and that they can happen. Yeah. And I think, you know, when, you, when it comes to partnerships, sometimes the affiliate team isn't even doing those partnerships and sometimes they are. It really depends on kind of the mindset of the company and who's driving this concept of partnerships for the advertiser or the brand, right? I mean, it's got to take C-level uh, funding, green lighting, right? Like, hey, no, wait, we, we want to take affiliate. We like, okay, we get affiliate. That's great. Okay, we get influencers. That's great. But this concept of partnerships, when you talk to the C-suite, like their their whole job is to grow the company's revenues, right? They're not mm-hmm. they're not sitting around, you know, you know, having three martini lunches. They're looking to grow revenue. They're you know, so how can we grow revenue? Well, okay, you're doing marketing. What are you going to do? Double your marketing? No, you can't. It's it's finite. There's only so much spend and in inventory for your return on ad spend targets. Sales. You know, double your sales team. I mean, or whatever, whatever your sales strategy is. You know, if you're selling consumer electronics, you've got, you know, companies like Best Buy that you sell through, or you know, or Target or Walmart. So you know, you can't really uh, double the revenues coming through those channels very easily once you get them established. So, hey, there's a new thing we want to talk to you about called partnerships, and this is what a bunch of companies' partnerships look like, right? So. Suddenly they sit up in their chairs and they're like, partnerships, we, we should be doing partnerships. Yes, this is something else to do. And so, you know, if you are in the C-suite and you're thinking, how do I grow my company's revenues? I mean, you can keep doing what you're doing and that's fine. And a lot of companies have so much growth opportunity, um, but you don't want to, um, you know, step over a hundred dollar bill, right. To go out, you know, to, mm-hmm. to go after, I don't know. 20 or $50, right? Like you want to get both. So there's, it's really just about, um, like I said, it typically doesn't happen as organically in the affiliate team as, as I would like, um, because they've already got a job and they're busy, right? So to mm-hmm. say, we're just going to increase our workload or take this initiative on our own. Some companies do, and maybe it's unique to their partnership strategy or their affiliate strategy, but in general, most people are already doing this uh, affiliate and that's already a lot of work. So how do we start doing partnerships and either they get, you know, more resources or a, a, another team is stood up that works kind of alongside them because they're using the same technology. Uh, so Todd, how are the CMOs, uh, how are they responding to this? And then once they have the technology, what is making them successful? Are they owning it at a C-level perspective or are they hiring teams to push the uh, partnerships or are they working with uh, uh, an outside vendor? Yeah, well, just backing up for a second, you know, when I used to explain affiliate marketing in the late 90s to executives, C-level, VPs, I could literally explain it three times, right? You're not paying for the impression. You're not paying for the click. You're only paying when you get a sale and you can just give them a percent of the, you know, five, 10%, whatever the margins work out for your business. And so you assume a lot more risk. And I, they would literally go, I don't get what you're saying. I don't get it. <laughs> and I have to explain it sometimes two or three times. And then the light bulb that still go, happens. Yeah, but they would go, I can't believe I didn't think of that. That's the, you know, oh my God. So back then yeah. there was a lot of education. Today, people get it. And I think when you talk to people today about partnerships, they're just leaning in. They're like, this makes sense. Yeah, how do we do it? What do we need to do? And you have to explain to them, look, you know, <laughs> 
your affiliate team just doesn't organically start doing this. Um, You guys need to say, what do partnerships mean to our company? What would they look like? Where are they? How many are there? Right? Like, what is this partnership strategy going to look like? And how can we even like get a proof of concept of maybe a dozen partnerships going that we can then say, based on those partnerships, this makes sense to, to fully fund. And it can get funded under like a CMO. I mean, we kind of envision this chief partnerships officer long-term, I think would, would be something there, or it could be an expanded role of a CMO. It could also report under to like a, a COO or a president or even a CEO. I've seen, I've seen it, you know, it depends on the size of the company, the structure, things like that. Yeah. Interesting. Would you see, do you see that happening or no, yeah. and do you see yeah. what, like what's going on right now? A large shift to, to online um, COVID, you know, is, is impacting our economy and consumer consumer behavior. Do you see that driving this partnership uh, even, even more uh, becoming more important right now and in the future? Well, I'm not sure that COVID has maybe accelerated or changed anybody's opinion that they need to start doing this when they weren't gonna. I think once somebody smart and accountable hears what partnerships mean and and how they work and and how they could be um, run and do you have a turnkey software that can enable the contracts, the tracking, the reporting and uh, the payments, right? That and the integrations. Uh, it's like, why aren't we doing this? We should be doing this, right? Like some of them are already customers of ours. So you get up to that level and they're like, well, yeah, we need to be doing this. I and mean, we, we talk to a lot of large brands and we're very lucky to be working with, you know, almost all of the fortune 100, uh, companies out there, you know, just in the U S we are a global company. So we have amazing brands all over the world. Some of them are global from the U S but once you have that conversation, uh, like I said, it's it's them figuring out like how do we fund this? How do we you know get this rolling uh, without disrupting anything we're already doing? And that's probably the hardest hurdle because it's you know I always say you know I invite you over for dinner. I'm sitting on my front porch. Of course, I don't have a front porch and I don't have a freshly uh, planted field in front of it that you walk by. But in my imagination, that's how it works. You come up and I go, hey Jamie, glad you're here for dinner. You go, what, what you, what's planned in this field? I go, I just got done planting corn. And you go, great. Are we having corn for dinner? I'm like, no, not yet. No, it's got to, you know, it's still a little more work to be done here. So there is this upfront investment with probably no return initially. So how do you, how do you fund that as a company, right? That's a, that's a C-level solve that they need to do. So um, I think, I think some companies have very smart affiliate marketers and they, they do it organically and get it going or, or can others um, they bootstrap their affiliate teams um, mm-hmm. and they're underfunded already. So they're not really capable of, of you know, they don't have that um, free time or that, uh, you know, luxury. I just, it, every company is different, you know, their mentality, their culture, uh, the executive team's approach to things. But I haven't heard anybody that I've had a conversation or anybody else in our company around this where they go, ah, we're not interested in that. <laughs> you know, I mean, you know, yeah. it's their job to be interested in it. And then they've got to figure out how to make it work. 
And have you faced any sort of pushback from the affiliate community or, or trying to get this partnership model, you know, uh, installed in a, an advertiser uh, and pushback from the affiliates of, of this isn't what it is. This isn't what affiliate is. We don't do that. Well, I think, I think affiliate networks have been pushing back on our vision. And when we talk at conferences, because, you know, they say, oh, we're doing that too. Um, or, you know, that's just affiliate marketing still. And I think it's not, you know, like I said, I think partnerships is the bigger picture. Affiliates, influencers, brand to brand, uh, those are the partnership types, right? Technology integration. So there's, there's, you know, and some are more mature than others. I mean, we, we have customers who, who use our software and have virtually no affiliate running through it. They're doing only partnerships or almost exclusively partnerships that are unique to them with companies that their business model is not affiliate marketing. They're not making money as an affiliate, right? So they have a proven business model. So, you know, you want, you know, another simple example is Airbnb. Airbnb has customers booking travel with airlines. Well, at the point of checkout or somewhere integrated in that workflow, if you can give them Airbnb opportunities. Hey, you're going to Dallas, Texas. Hey, you're going to Rome, Italy. Here are a Airbnb listings, you know, filter and, mm -hmm. and get more. It's, it's not seen as advertising, right? It's seen as an integrated experience that is a convenience and you're making my life easier. And um, those are very valuable partnerships. And, and there's a lot of companies that that's how they're growing their business. They're not working in the traditional affiliate space either because it doesn't work for them. You know, they're not a retailer or, you know, because they don't do coupons or whatever, right? It's just not, not their business model. What, what does work for them are partnerships. And so, you know, I think it, it's never, I, I, it's rare to see two companies following the same partnership strategy. You know, I think at this point, because it's still nascent, it's still something that, I mean, partnerships have always existed, right? I mean, it's not like this is a yeah. new thing, but being able to automate them, create efficiency and scale and um, uh, is something a little bit newer, right? Yeah, definitely. And so if I'm an advertiser and I'm, I want to commit to uh, this partnerships as a third channel, what are some of the common mistakes uh, that I should avoid? Well, of course you want to have a solution in place and I hope you're using impact for that. Um, but that would be, kind of, I mean, you don't need it if you're going to do one or two partnerships, right? You could get by with something mm -hmm. like just your analytics or something. I don't know, but you need, you need something to scale. And that's the big thing that the, probably the biggest struggle some companies have is just figuring out who could our partners be and how do we go about um, identifying those partners and knocking on the door and getting a foot in there and having a conversation with the right people. You know, that's a different, that's a different DNA than what you see in a typical affiliate team. Affiliate team is more of a nurture, right? They're they're mm -hmm. growing yeah. these partnerships that that uh, already have a you know they they may not be their partner now. They but when they call them up, they they're like, oh, you're you're a brand we would want to work with, of course. Yes, this is what we do. So then you're just kind of managing a relationship and all the different promotional opportunities and calendars and you know all the promotional calendars and things like that. Whereas going out and kind of cold calling into businesses and finding the right person to have a biz dev conversation, a partnership conversation. That's a, that's a hunter, right? 
And so a lot of affiliate teams don't have that, 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 that type of person uh, at the level that you need. I mean, like we, as a software company, to sell our software, we have people that that's, that's, that's what their job is, is to get in the door. We identify a database of all the companies that should be licensing our software, and we have to figure out who the right person is um, to listen to us and get them to listen, to take, take a meeting. So it's, it's a different DNA. And I think that's a shift that some companies don't, you know, if you're a retailer, you don't think that way. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. Your, 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 your whole thing is the customer. So. And you probably don't have much of a sales organization in there, right? You have, you have, you know, your sales force on the floor if you're a brick and mortar retailer, but you may not have a sales team. I, I keep thinking, I was going to ask you earlier, this, the partnerships role sounds a lot like business development. Uh, one of my first jobs, I worked for a precursor to uh, uh, Google Docs and Gmail. And we had, uh, we had a team that was just out there trying to find you know, companies to either partner with. And we offered these services through Costco and that wasn't an affiliate deal. I was running the affiliate program, but that was a, a, a biz dev deal that seemed much more of a, uh, like you said, a hunter, a, a more like sniping it instead of uh, uh, the farming uh, and more on the sales side. So I think it'd be difficult for uh, a retailer that really doesn't have a sales team, doesn't do B2B, uh, and, and have that business development for them to grasp this. And that's probably a mistake they would make is treating it as uh, a nurture type of campaign. Yep. Yeah. I, I think, um, you know, I, I can tell you of, of all the teams I worked with that um, have, have probably been that way from day one as a team at Fanatics that, that um, Wade Tonkin yep. built. And Wade you know. and Joe are going to be on the podcast this, this year. Yeah, they're, they're, they've had to do this because they wanted to work with newspapers and uh, anything that talked about teams or sports, whether they're message boards or, you know, all, there's lots of places that sports is happening that's not affiliate and not coupons and not cashback and not um, uh, product recommendations, right? You've got people that are fanatics about sports. So they want to, where, where they're congregating and talking about sports, they want those sites or those companies to be their partners and so they've always had that approach which always excited me about about what they did uh, what they do because you know again they're creating value for those partners um they're giving them a a revenue opportunity to make revenue where before they were probably it was a cost to them to even do this because they're a passion for a team or a sport um they made nominal money or or none and now there's a revenue opportunity and it benefits, you know, the sports fanatics that are in there talking and the easy access to supporting the message boards or whatever the, the thing is that they're engaging in. Um, so, you know, that, that's the kind of stuff that I think is interesting. And I think retailers probably struggle the most with this because, you know, affiliate was so easy in an essence, you know, that is, like I said, low hanging fruit they exist and, Partnerships don't, and how do we approach this and even know? And I'm not saying partnerships are perfect for every company. They may not be today, just because of the cost and time, uh, resources maybe to 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 find and get those partnerships and what they could bring to the table. But as more and more companies do partnerships, similar to affiliate marketing, 
it becomes a much bigger, easier to do thing. Uh, you know, back in the nineties, affiliate marketing wasn't yeah. super easy and, and it certainly wasn't super um, valuable to the brand. It wasn't like, Oh my God, this is our second biggest or our biggest channel or most cost effective channel. Nobody was saying that it was very small. Um, and as it matured and companies kind of uh, affiliates became companies themselves, it, it, it became very meaningful. And um, so I think that's where we're kind of on this partnership curve and, uh, you know, the companies that get it right sooner benefit more from it long term, but I think everybody's going to benefit over the, the long term. And this, this really is a long term play because you're you're going to test different kind of partnerships. You're going to find some that they just simply don't work and others, you know, wildly successful and others in between. So for an advertiser looking into this, this should really be a long term play, right? Yes. And I think the other thing you have to realize is that sometimes when you approach a partnership, and you, you know, test, it was the wrong test. And yeah, then you yeah. say it didn't work and you move on from that partnership, you still missed the opportunity. So it takes kind of some smart cookies to go, wait a minute, you know, and really how it works, a partnership works, is you're talking about your business and your, your relationship with customers. And I'm telling you what works and what excites our customers and our value proposition and what we can do for customers. And you're telling me what you do with your customers. And through that conversation is where, the the discovery happens. Hey, what if we, you know, maybe we could, you know, um, you know, and simple ones are, hey, you know, you sell a product and service that we don't, and our customers need that or want that. Um, we had um, a, a, a meat company, right? So they they sell, you know, different meats to direct to consumers. And then there was a um, basket, food basket company, and they basically created prepared meals, but they don't sell the protein. I mean, it doesn't take long to figure out, like, if you're buying prepared food, here's our preferred protein uh, provider and maybe a coupon for a new customer or for your first purchase or whatever, right? So you're going to need it anyway. Likewise, if you're buying our meat and you're into prepared food services uh, delivered to your house, here's one of our partners, right? Like, that's simple. And it's really a cross-promotion that makes a lot of sense, you know, um, uh, and, and just getting that right. How do we communicate that? Is it in the checkout process? Is it in our email? Is it everywhere? You know, how do we do it? You know, there's a real interesting affiliate back in the day. I don't know if, uh, this will, uh, jog your memory. I think it was called Madison's bag and they, uh, they contracted, uh, to provide, uh, the bags that you get your clothes in from the dry cleaner. And in that, in uh, Madison was the the brand ambassador for the brand, I guess, the, the face of the brand. And she would ha- curate these deals. And what they were trying to do is, and and they we we did that with Coldwater Creek, uh, and it was successful. You know, the, the people who tend to pick up dry cleaning, at least at that time, uh, was the woman of the house. And she got a lot of those offers in there. And so it was really neat merge or, uh, you know, identifying here's this audience that we can reach. Now, how do we reach those? And and beyond that, we used to do stuff and we still do, uh, you know, really simple brand to brand, uh, partnerships of, uh, 
you know, you bought this product, you get the confirmation page and, oh, here, here's an, here's something that we selected based on what you purchased that you may find valuable as well. But I can see with what you guys offer, including, uh, not only, um, you know, uh, other customers who bought this also bought this from us, but also customers who bought this may find this from our partner, uh, and using that on, you know, both sides of the brand, uh, on both brands, uh, to generate uh, revenue and, and new customer acquisition. Yeah. And I think, you know, customers are busy and if you can tell me, Hey, you know, you're buying, uh, prepared meals from us and, you know, we have selected, uh, this company as our preferred partner for proteins. Uh, and, uh, you know, here's, here's information about them. They've been in business so many years. This is the type of meats they get. And, you know, they're very selective and, you know, whatever, you know, ethical, whatever. And, and, you know, you know, here's an offer to, to get you a discount on your purchase rate or something. So, you know, you're not just, you know, you're really, you're, you're giving the customer, um, you know, telling them something they didn't know, um, and educating them. And it's a value. Yeah. And, and, and you probably need it, right? I mean, our, we don't sell the, yeah. the protein, you, you need the protein. And I think, you know, the, the best thing about this pandemic is that so many online businesses, the adoption of their products and services has accelerated in two ways. One, a broader audience is using them. And in general, people are more habituated to using them where before it was maybe more casual, like, um, you know, food delivery, right? Like most people, mm -hmm. Uh, I just don't feel like cooking and I don't want to go pick up and okay, I'll use Postmates or, you know, Uber Eats or, you know, whatever the, the product is to, um, get me my, um, food delivered. Now it's like, you're like hands on that app and, you know, you're going, it's like, you're not, it's not even a conscious decision anymore. Right. So yeah, yeah. more people started using them where I think businesses like that and a lot of the online streaming, they've gotten so much more adoption that would have taken them five years. They got it in five months, mm -hmm. all of these companies. So that's good for the online because their business has expanded. And I think even once we come out of the pandemic, that habituation, that comfort, I wasn't used to buying prepared food or protein online. I went to the grocery store. Now I don't got time for that. I don't want to do that if I don't have to. I don't know how many conversations my wife and I have had about how do we get out of making dinner every night or the conversation of, Oh, Oh God, what do we make for dinner? Send your kids um, to cooking school. <laughs> that's a great idea. I'm going to write that down. <laughs> Actually two, both our kids cook a lot. My oldest who, uh, today is his actual last day at JEB. He's moving on to another career. Uh, he was a chef. So we do have a lot of that in the house, but uh, back to, uh, to the affiliate stuff. Um, my, my, I got two questions. So one thing you and I talked about, um, was the need for automation, how important that is in partnerships in affiliate marketing and what, Im how impact, uh, powers that. So can you tell a little bit, a bit about that? Yeah. And again, a lot of automation is, you know, unique to partnerships. So some have certain needs, whether it's a post back or, uh, an API call or, um, but, but as a, partnerships manager, managing affiliates and partners and influencers, I, I want to spend the least amount of time in the UI doing things. I want the, the software to, to notify me and 
and do things for me, right? I mean, I want it to work for me, not make me, you know, it be my job. So we are always looking at, you know, where can you create efficiency? If you can spend less time in the software, then you have more time for nurturing and developing and recruiting uh, partnerships. Like that's where the money is, right? It's not logging in and clicking around. So, Mm -hmm. um, you know, being able to build custom reports, get them by API or delivered by email, or even just have them saved. So when you log in, you're getting the exact data you need to look at for whatever task you're doing. Uh, On the contracting, we have, it's well over 100, I think it's 100 and something, 130, different things that we capture that you can create rules on whether a commission should be should be created or, or paid or what it should pay. So the flexibility, you literally can create rules. If this happens and this happens, then there's a commission. Or if this or that happens, there's a commission. Or if this and this happens, uh, you know, it moves to a different state. You know, there's, you know, and it can be more ands and more ors. So the ability mm-hmm. to give you uh, an infinitely configurable contracting tool is what gets you outside of affiliate marketing. Because most affiliate networks are designed for creating contracts for affiliates. So, you know, there's a, it's a narrower use case. With a partnership, you know, two partnerships could have completely different contracts, compensation, et cetera. And, you know, our contracts are direct with the, with the brand. So if you and I are doing a deal together, we're contracting together. Impact is just a supportive tool, right? Like if I'm using Salesforce and I sell you, Salesforce isn't involved in the contract. They're not in the contract, right? Like it's not, you know, even though I might be using all their tools to build contracts, send contracts, get contracts signed, they're just the tool. And so we don't want, you know, an affiliate network is the, is the contracting entity. They're in the mix, right? And, and that to me seems weird, you know, because they're a media company. It's really what they are. They're, I look at them as an agency that owns their own technology. And they're basically taking your budget and managing partnerships. I mean, granted, aid, other agencies can use their software and do that. But that's really what they are. Um, and so... You know, our our vision was to create the, the platform and then let the advertiser say, I need an agency to support my team or to be my team and manage this channel. And when I go out and do partnerships, I need to contract with them directly. I don't need a middleman in there. Right? I, I don't want them to have a say, you know, <laughs> for who I can partner with or how I construct that partnership or if I want to change their compensation. Like, I don't want them being concerned about that because you know it's their money too right that's why they're getting a piece of it so you know if you cut the commission in half for whatever reason because that's just the value that the partnership dictates um a network can say wait what's going on why is that happening you know it's like i'm running my business right definitely i think you know you and i've talked about how uh how that concept of a network really being an agency with 
software can create a conflict of interest. And I think that's the best sort of explanation of that. And also how you guys are different and the difference between impact and, and the other networks. So I have a bunch of questions I didn't get to ask, but we're right at time. I got one more for you. Uh, and, and then we can, I will let you go and get on with, uh, the start of your year. You've like literally been in the industry since the beginning, uh, you know, first employee at CJ, now co-founder at Impact. With all that hindsight, uh, what do you, you know, what are you preparing for or what should advertisers prepare for this year? What should they be doing? What should they be watching for? Well, again, I think one is making sure your tracking is as good as it can be. We've got um, you know, changes to operating systems on mobile devices and browsers on uh, uh, PCs that are going to impact um, how tracking works or doesn't work. So, you know, there, there are solutions out there that don't need cookies to track that work just as good or better. Um, I guess we're going full circle back to my conversation with Messer. Um, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, pixels and cookies are, are not the best way to track anymore. Um, also, because mobile and desktop is such a fluid thing now because 10 years ago, even, but for sure, um, 20 years ago, 23 years ago, when I got started, you know, most houses had the computer station, right? <laughs> you went. Yeah, like the old telephone online. table. Yeah, yeah. You went to <laughs> go online, right? You had to go over there yeah. to get online. Today, almost everybody in the house has three ways to be online. They have a laptop, they have a phone, they have a tablet, right? Or they have a Xbox or, you know, a TV. Yeah, They're, yeah. You know, the Internet of Things. So people are very comfortable uh, looking at something on their phone and going, oh, my God, yeah. And then opening their laptop, searching and buying. Well, you've got to be able to connect those dots. You've also got to be able to track links that work just as well on a mobile device, tracking app to app as you do the traditional way we're used to seeing it, you know, this kind of web to web on, on, a, on a PC. So, you know, affiliates want one link that does both. They don't want to have to get a, a different link for for mobile and a different link for desktop. So to me, getting make I, I think everybody starting to year, talk to your vendor, your network, whatever, do a tracking gut check, health check. Is my tracking uh, future proof? What do I need to do to make sure my tracking is going to be as reliable as possible? That, that's probably something I think everybody needs to, to, to double check. And a lot of people, they just assume tracking is tracking and it's working. I don't know. I'm not technical, right? I'm a marketing guy. Yeah. So that's a, that's a big check. And then, you know, we've been talking about this whole time, but I think looking at how can I, how can I just broaden performance or partnerships, right? Relationships outside of what I have today, whatever that is. Um, how, what, what does it take? How can I just, go up to my CEO or my leadership and say, I, I, I've been hearing a lot of talk about partnerships and I wish our company would just talk about it. We don't have to do anything about it, but shouldn't we just talk about it? It's, it's something to consider. Let's get educated on it. That's always the beginning of anything, right? Uh, yeah. You know, if you think back when paid search started, it was all affiliates doing paid search. No advertiser was running their own paid search campaign or very few, and they didn't know what they were doing. And they were doing it with spreadsheets. There were no paid search agencies, no paid search tools. 
And eventually the affiliates were so good at it that companies had internal conversations. Like, should we be doing this and owning this channel? It seems like a big revenue driver, traffic driver. And I think it's the same with partnerships. You should, it doesn't hurt to have the conversation and explore it and see where does this fit in where we are as a company? Is this something we should do in 2021? Is it something we should think about in 2021 and maybe do some 2022? I don't know, right? But it's certainly a conversation worth having. And I think, you know, it's just getting the right people to, to say, yeah, let's, let's have that conversation because not everybody knows they should be having that conversation. Yeah, definitely. You mentioned uh, paid search and managing with spreadsheets. That's how I bought my first brand new car was consulting, doing paid search with huge spreadsheets uh, back in the day. Uh, Todd, that was outstanding. Thank you for that, that last tidbit. And really, I think bringing something to our audience that we haven't heard yet and, and this importance of of partnerships. I really appreciate your time today and our friendship over now 20 years uh, and learning from you along the way. Uh, and definitely some of those uh, be, being a, uh, uh, a, a bystander in some of those conversations uh, from way back when, if someone wants to follow you and, and uh, you, you produce a lot of content for impact as well. Um, what's the best way for them to, to follow, to interact with you? Yeah, I mean, I think our LinkedIn's are probably the best place. That's where I put a lot of the more partnership and business content. So, you know, I'm just forward slash Todd Crawford on LinkedIn. Um, and then uh, and we have the Impact brand there as well. They, they produce a lot of content there. Our blog is, I think, super powerful resource, not only just stuff that we're producing, a lot of stats on COVID, a lot of stats on, uh, you know, Cyber Week and things like that, but also... Um, uh, a lot of good case studies and other information. So if you go to a, that part of our site, I think it's just, I mean, we produce a ton of content. So definitely some, some great stuff in there. Awesome. Well, I will share um, those LinkedIn and uh, links as well as the Impact blog in our show notes for our listeners. And Todd, thank you so much. Always enjoy every conversation we have, especially this one. Me too. Uh, and yeah, thanks. Thanks for including me, Jamie. Well, thank you, Todd, for joining me for that hour. And thank you, listeners, for uh, staying tuned to this really great conversation. So, uh, man, so much to talk about. But really, those partnerships, the importance of uh, branching out beyond, you know, a lot of you advertisers, when you come to talk to us, you're talking about going beyond just your typical uh, coupon loyalty type affiliate and that known universe of affiliates. So usually you're talking about influencers and that seems to be the hot thing over the last couple of years. But I love this discussion of partnerships and really branching out beyond that. We've done so much of that over the years and, and it's awesome to hear about the examples that Todd brings to the table and that Impact has been working on. You know, everything from offline to online uh, deals, brand to brand. In fact, one of our step five of our online retail retailer affiliate accelerator is all about advanced partner opportunities, those brand to brand uh, partnerships, a lot of what Todd is talking about. So I hope that this episode opened your mind a little bit 
and gave you some ideas, some things to brainstorm, some really unique ways to reach new customers, provide value, uh, and expand your revenue and new customer acquisition, uh, uh, you know, the actual, your goals and, and your realization of those new customer acquisitions. Uh, I hope this gave you a lot to think about and to mull over. And I'd love to hear about if there's any ideas that come from my conversation, Todd and I, our conversation. I'd love to hear about those. So you can email those at gethelp at jbcommerce.com. You can even comment on this blog. Uh, but one thing Todd did talk about was for, for this year going forward was uh, a tracking audit. Now, if you haven't ever done one of these, we have a multi-step process to to make sure and to to make sure you're tracking correctly and identify any areas that you aren't tracking correctly and i wholeheartedly agree with todd on this you should be doing that on a quarterly basis but take time right now and ensure your tracking is accurate and I never take anyone's word for it. I actually go and make sure that the tracking is working. So not everyone has that time. So if you don't have that time and you'd like a tracking audit done, uh, just let us know. You can email us at gethelp at jebcommerce.com uh, or set up time with me to talk about it at calumly.com slash Jamie Birch. So Todd, thank you so much for joining. Uh, hopefully uh, you all got a lot out of this one. Uh, always great to talk with uh, Todd. Now, if you found this episode useful, we'd love it if you share it. Facebook, Twitter, uh, go out and share uh, this podcast, but also leave us a review at Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, all of those, where whatever uh, player you're listening at. If you like it, leave us, uh, leave us a five-star review. And if you'd like to be a guest in 2021, don't be shy. I'd love to interview you for the Profitable Performance Marketing Podcast. You can let me know that you're interested at gethelp at jebcommerce.com.